Throughout the last few weeks and into the coming weeks, we'll be looking at the life of the prophet Elisha. Today we get an event in Elisha's life that mirrors one from Elijah's life. The raising of the widow's son in, in the city of Zarephath is repeated here in the son of the Shunammite woman in 2 Kings chapter 4. But as we explore this a little bit more deeply, what we really get to see is an answer to a question that I think is on a lot of Christians' hearts and minds fairly often. Maybe it goes something like this. What does faith look like? We know how the writer to the Hebrews defines faith. In his 11th chapter, the author says this, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. But, but what does that look like in practice? When I have that faith in Jesus, in something that I hope for that I can't see, how, how does it show up in my day-to-day -day life? Can I tell you that that's one of the most rewarding parts about being a pastor? Because I get to be in a lot of situations where I get to see people's faith in action. I've seen it in the hospital. As loved ones are gathered around someone whose health is at risk, maybe even dying, and they're praying, maybe even singing hymns, reading the scriptures, because they're holding on to the promises that God has made. I see it every time I get a chance to visit one of our homebound members. As you go and visit in their homes and they, they wonder what God's purpose is for them still on this earth, but they strive to serve God with every day that they have. I see it when families face crisis and they hold on to the promises of God because that's the one thing they have that's constant in this world. And today in 2 Kings chapter 4, we get to see faith in action in the Shunammite woman. But my prayer today is that it leads us to see how our faith can be put into action and how it really is in action every single day. Today as we walk our way through 2 Kings chapter 4, we get a lesson in trust from this Shunammite woman. And it's God through her that teaches us that, that every good thing, every blessing that we have in this life comes from God. He gives good gifts. But even more, it's God who gives life. And, and not just life in this world, but God gives eternal life. I'm going to show you a map just to let you see kind of where we're at today uh, in the world and in the land of Israel. I, I put that big orange arrow on so you couldn't miss it. And so I couldn't miss it either. But there's Shunem right there. And do you notice some of the towns that are really close to Shunem? Towns that you recognize certainly from New Testament, right? The town of Nazareth where Jesus grew up. Nain, where a widow's son was raised, Cana, where the wedding was. And so our events today are going to take place in this city of Shunem and then over here in Mount Carmel, where the prophet often goes. So keep that in mind as we kind of walk through the geography. If you would like to follow along today, we're on page 574 in the Pew Bibles that are in front of you. Please feel free to grab those and bring them out. You, you can also just listen if that's the easier way for you or bring out your phone if you want to follow along on your phone as well. We're going to read chapter 4. We'll start with verses uh, 8 through 17 of chapter 4 on page 574 and 575. Here's how the author of 2 Kings reports the events. One day, Elisha went to Shunem, and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. 
She said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room on the roof and put in it a bed and a table and a chair and a lamp for him. Then when he stays, when he, then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. One day when Elisha came, he went up to his room and lay down there. He said to his servant Gehazi, call the Shunammite. So he called her and she stood before him. Elisha said to him, tell her, you have gone to all this trouble for us. Now what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? She replied, I have a home among my own people. What can be done for her? Elisha asked. Gehazi said, well, she has no son and her husband is old. Then Elisha said, call her. So he called her and she stood in the doorway. About this time next year, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arms. No, my lord, she objected. Don't mislead your servant, O man of God. But the woman became pregnant. And the next year, about that same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her. Kind of marvel as I read this account at the hospitality of the woman from this town called Shunem. It's interesting that she is not ever named in scripture, but what we get to see is a generosity that spills over into her actions. First of all, in providing meals for Elisha every time he comes through, but then that wasn't enough. She knew he was a man of God, and so she wants to actually give him a room in their home to build a little room with a bed and a desk and a lamp. I suppose we could call this the very first Airbnb. And so every time Elisha came through, that's where he would stay. What I find interesting is, is the selflessness of the woman. Certainly God had blessed her with means, but she recognized that those blessings were gifts from God. And she used those blessings then to help others. And I think about the blessings of serving here at Wisconsin Lutheran Chapel and Student Center. How much I get to see the generosity of people who support a campus ministry because they love the idea of making sure college students have a home away from home, a spiritual home away from home. And I think about how easy it is to forget sometimes the grace of God in our own lives and how easy it is to be not selfless, but selfish. Isn't that what comes naturally to us? Selfishness? And isn't it difficult as we look around the world and see the things that people have to want those things for ourselves, to hold on to the blessings that God has given us and forget that they are all from God's hand and we want to pass them on to others? You see, when Good things have been done for us. Doesn't that naturally want us to be, make us want to be generous with others? And that's how Elisha felt too. He looked at what the woman had done for him with the meals that she had served him, with, with the room that she had given him, and he wants to do something for her. What, he asks, can I do for you? And the woman can't think of anything. Or maybe it's more accurate to say the one thing that she did want, she didn't want to ask for. Because finally it comes down to the one thing that's missing in her life. She doesn't have a child. Her husband is getting up in years and there's no baby. There's no descendant. There's no one for her to care for. And so Elisha makes an incredible promise. One year from now, you will have a child. Her objection is maybe along the lines of, this is too good to be true. There's, this shouldn't be happening. I'm not going to have a baby. But what happens? 
A year later, the promise is fulfilled, and the woman has a child. If you think back through the Bible history stories that you remember learning or know, isn't it amazing how many times children are born after parents have given up hope? can go all the way back to Abraham and Sarah, right? Who waited 25 years till Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90 before they had Isaac. And then Isaac and Rebekah struggled to have children until God blessed them with Jacob and Esau. And then we have stories of Hannah who prayed and God gave her Samuel or the parents of Samson who were given him as a child. And then in the New Testament, we have Zechariah and Elizabeth who were given John the Baptist. And I think it's good to ask this question. Why? Why does God do that? Why does he let people struggle through this time of not having children and then bless them with a child when it doesn't seem like it should even be possible anymore? Could it be to drive home the truth of what Solomon said in Psalm 127? Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. I can't explain because God doesn't. He doesn't give us his reason why he blesses some families with many children and others he doesn't give children to. But, but this we know for sure. God is the giver of those good gifts. And we know that those are blessings from God. And so he gives this woman who wanted this above everything else, a woman, a child to the woman, only, only to bring some difficulty into her life. Let's take a look at verses 18 to 28 of chapter 4. The child grew and one day he went out to his father who was with the reapers. My head, my head, he said to his father. His father told the servant, carry him to his mother. After the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and went out. She called her husband and said, please send me one of the servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly and return. Why go to him today, he asked. It's not the new moon or the Sabbath. It's all right, she said. She saddled the donkey and said to her servant, Lead on, don't slow down for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When he saw her in the distance, the man of God said to his servant Gehazi, Look, there's the Shunammite. Run to meet her and ask her, Are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? Everything is all right, she said. When she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi came over to push her away, but the man of God said, Leave her alone. She is in bitter distress, but the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. Did I ask you for a son, my Lord, she said? Didn't I tell you, don't raise my hopes? If we take a look at these verses, maybe the question that comes to mind is, well, how old is the boy at this point? And the Bible doesn't tell us. It does tell us that he's old enough to go out to the field with the reapers, and it's there that he complains about his head. I've read all kinds of speculation about what it was that the boy was suffering from. Was it some sort of tumor or aneurysm? Or, or maybe he had sunstroke or heat stroke, something like that. But I don't think I can speculate. I'm not a doctor. Never played one on TV. God doesn't tell us. But he does tell us what happened. The young boy went back home, was laid on his mother's lap, and by noon, he was gone. His 
illness resulted in death. There probably isn't a greater tragedy that families have to suffer through in this life than the loss of a child. Those are difficult things to go through because you never expect to outlive your children. And you wonder about all of the things that maybe that child could have accomplished in life and, and why would God take them home? But do you think in this case there might even be another level? This is the son that the woman didn't want to pray for. And when it was finally forced out of her, she was thrilled that God had given her this son. And now he's gone. But here's an amazing thing. The woman knew where to turn. She had a plan. She took the young boy up to the room of Elisha and laid him on the bed and now planned to go to Elisha. She goes to her husband and asks if she can have a donkey to head off to go see Elisha. And he wonders why she's going and she uses an interesting phrase. It's all right. It's the same phrase she uses when Elisha and his servant Gehazi confront her. It's all right. Everything's all right. But here's something interesting. It's one word in the original Hebrew language. And the word is shalom. Have you heard that word before? Shalom is a common greeting in Hebrew. It really means peace, the idea of peace. But it's a lot deeper than that. It's not just a feeling of peace. It's really this idea or concept of wholeness, that, that somehow everything is good. So that translation, it's all right, or everything is all right, is a pretty good translation of the word shalom. But everything wasn't all right. How could the woman say that to her husband? How could she say that to Elisha? Isn't this her faith in action? Even in the midst of her distress, even in the fact that she has now lost the child she longed for, she knew there was only one place to go, and that was to the prophet Elisha. She knew that God could undo what had happened, that God could give her the strength to face whatever the next day held. I love that phrase, it is well, shalom. I bet you could sing for me right now if I asked you to do so, that Christian hymn that goes, it is well, it is well with my soul. Most people like that hymn. But how can we sing that? How can we say that in the midst of a turbulent world? How can we say that when not everything is always well in our hearts and in our lives? Isn't it because where that peace originates from? Where shalom comes from? We can say it is well because of Jesus. We can say it as well because no matter what happens in our earthly circumstances in this life, we have a promise from God, something sure and certain, that Jesus went to a cross for us, that he suffered and died on that cross to pay for our forgiveness of sins, that he rose from the dead, and that we too will rise to live with him forever. That's the only thing that can fill us with shalom, with peace and I think about the world in which we live and I, and I think about the people on the island of Maui who one day were just fine and then wildfires came and destroyed not only often their way of living and their home, but many lives were lost too. And isn't part of our, our, our thoughts about tragedies like that, well, when is that going to happen to me? Is something like that going to happen in my life? 
And then we can look around our world at the crime and, 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 and the politics and all the things that we wish were different. And we realize putting our trust in anything in this life, whether it's our home and the blessings that we enjoy, whether it's our government or anybody else, those are just fake places to put trust. Because in the end, there's only one place to find shalom. That's in Jesus, our Savior. It is well, we can say every day, because it is well with our Savior God. Let's see what God had in store for the woman from Shunem in the last few verses here, verses 29 to 37. Elisha said to Gehazi, Tuck your cloak into your belt, take my staff in your hand and run. If you meet anyone, do not greet him, and if anyone greets you, do not answer. Lay my staff on the boy's face. But the child's mother said, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So he got up and followed her. Gehazi went ahead and laid the staff on the boy's face. But there was no sound or response. So Gehazi went back to meet Elisha and told him the boy has not awakened. When Elisha reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on his couch. He went in, shut the door on the two of them, and prayed to the Lord. Then he got on the bed and lay upon the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. As he stretched himself out upon him, the boy's body grew warm. Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room and then got on the bed and stretched out upon him once more. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Elisha summoned Gehazi and said, Call the Shunammite, and he did. When he came, he said, Take your son. She came in, fell at his feet, and bowed to the ground. Then she took her son and went out. It does seem almost cruel, doesn't it, that God had the woman, the Shunammite woman, go through this experience of, of giving her the son she longed for and then taking the son away. But it's amazing even more is the faith that God gave her to stand up under that trial. And I couldn't help but think of, of the woman's faith as she runs to see Elisha and, and, and prays and, and hopes that, that God will restore the boy's life. I can't help but think of Abraham. Do you remember when Abraham was asked by God? That son that he and Sarah had waited 25 years for, Isaac, and then God came to him and said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and sacrifice him to me. And Abraham was willing to go through with it. And the reason Abraham was willing to go through with it, the scripture tells us, especially Hebrews chapter 11, tells us because he reasoned that God could raise the dead. Isn't that what the Shunammite woman believed too? And so she runs to Elisha and Elisha comes back to her home and, and it's amazing the, the process that goes on that God brings this boy's life back to him. And I would love to stand up here this morning and explain to you why Elisha did all the things that he did. I don't think we can conclude that Elisha's action are what brought the young man back to faith. I mean, it's a strange process, isn't it? He paces the room, he's praying to the Lord, he's laying on top of the boy and the boy's body's growing warm and then Elisha gets up and walks around some more. It doesn't seem like a normal way to raise someone from the dead. But God did. And that's the joy that the woman had. Tragedy turned to joy because Elisha was able to present to her her son alive. Maybe as you sit there today, you think, hmm, that's not the way God usually acts today, is it? We recognize that God is the giver of life, that he's the one who decides that 
our times are, are truly in his hands. But I think about the loved ones that have gone before me into heaven. And I'm sure you can think about those things too. And, and so the question is, well, does God do that for us today? Will he bring back to life those who have gone before us? And while we can safely say it's not his usual way of doing things by extending someone's life on earth, raising from the dead here on this earth, don't we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God will raise us from the dead? That we will have life forever? That's the kind of life that God is most interested in providing for you and me? It was the life he provided by sending his son Jesus to take your place. And when Jesus broke out of his tomb on Easter morning, that's your guarantee that you won't stay in your grave either. And even more, that means there will be a joyful reunion with those who have gone before us. We will see our loved ones again in the eternal life that God has waiting for us forever in heaven. That's the faith that God has given you. That's the faith and action that we can use every single day, a faith that trusts those promises of God that knows that everything is all right because our God is on our side. Some takeaways from our sermon today. Number one, we can be generous and hospitable because we trust that God will provide. As Jesus was talking to his disciples and sending them out, he said this, freely you have received, freely give. Number two, we live each day knowing our times are in God's hands. In Psalm 90, Moses says this to the Lord, teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. We know that we aren't going to live in this world forever, but we know there is a life that is to come. And that's number three. Our eternal future is secure because Jesus has given us eternal life. In his first epistle, John wrote it this way, this is our testimony. We have eternal life, and that eternal life is through Jesus our Savior. Do you know what's being pictured on the screen? You know what that's called? A trust fall. Anybody ever tried that? Should we, anybody want to volunteer right now to come up? Will you come up? Come on. We're going to try a trust fall. Do you trust me that I'll catch you? Okay, good. All right, turn around. You face that way. Okay, so everybody can see. All right, whenever you're ready, you can fall. <laughs> oh, almost. he almost didn't trust me, but I caught you. You can go sit back down. Thank you. <laughs> Isn't that what life feels like sometimes? Like we're always on the verge of tipping over and falling. But aren't God's promises there? Isn't our God there every time to catch us? To make sure that we don't fall? Isn't that why we can say those same words that the woman said? Shalom, it is well. Whatever ups and downs and circumstances we go through in this life, whatever's weighing heavily on your heart and your mind today, that's God's answer. Shalom. It is well. And that, dear friends, is your faith in action. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.